Thank you. Thank you. I love you too. I really do. I really do. Good to be here with you. But man, hasn't Ryland been crushing it these last few weeks? That's been awesome. The You Asked For It series and then that Choose Joy. I actually stole one out of the Choose Joy sermons and preached it in India a couple of weeks ago. The one on Romans 8, Eight Reasons to Be Optimistic from Romans 8. And I just want to report to you that the subcontinent of India is much more optimistic today than it was two weeks ago. Uh, they just loved it. It was a great sermon. God is doing great things, great things in the world, and we get to play a part of it. And God is doing great things right here. And we're going to launch a new series this weekend, four weeks. And the premise of this series, it's called Overcome. And the premise of this series is that effective life change does not happen when you simply change external things. Uh, you know, I'm going to change my uh, schedule. I'm going to change my diet, change my habits, change my shopping. I'm going to change my budget. I'm going to change something on the outside. Anytime you change something on the outside without addressing what's going on on the inside, it's bound to fail. And so in this series, we're going to look deep down inside each one of us, and we're going to address what's really going on in here. Because once you address what's going on in here, then you're going to see real and lasting change on the outside because you're working on the right thing. So today, I want to just jump into the, the deep end of the pool, and I want to talk to you about overcoming addiction. The Apostle Paul addresses the issue of addiction in Romans chapter 7. And that's where the Apostle Paul admits that he's an addict. He says, I have stuff, I have issues, I have sin in my life that I am struggling with. He says, so I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. He's got an angel on one shoulder and a demon on the other. He says, for in my inner being, I delight in God's law. He recognizes that the battle is an inner battle. It's not an external struggle, it's an internal struggle. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner. He is a prisoner to his sin, to this struggle. And this message is for every person who would say, I got something. I got something that I'm doing that I don't want to do, but I can't stop doing it. I am a prisoner to my sin. I'm an addict. How many of you know somebody whose life has been destroyed by an addiction? Raise your hand if you know somebody whose life has been destroyed by an addiction. Just look around for a moment and look at that. That's the impact of addiction on our life and on our community. How many of you would call yourself an addict? Raise your hand. Okay. This is what I love about Rockbrook. I mean, you know, you ask that question in most churches and you're going to get this. <coughs> Not me. But at Rockbrook, the pastor raises his hand and says, I'm an addict, okay? You know, we hit this stuff head on around here, and, uh, and I love it, because uh, the reality is most of us are addicts to one degree or another. And I'll just tell you, if you didn't raise your hand, you're just in denial, okay? <laughs> and we want to help you break out of your denial. Uh, for many people, the term addict is reserved for those who are dealing with really big issues. You know, addicts are people who struggle with drugs and alcohol and gambling, but I would submit to you that an addiction is anything that we don't want to do that we keep doing. Anything we don't want to do but we keep doing. 
And then a month from now, we're headed to New Year's and New Year's resolutions. And if you've got a resolution that shows up year after year, okay, that's an addiction. Or maybe you're to the point where you've decided, I'm not even going to make a resolution about it this year because I know it's not going to change. I mean, that's an addiction. And we can be real arrogant about somebody else's addiction. Oh, he's an addict. She's an addict. I just have problems. Okay? But the truth is, is we all have something that consumes and controls our life. We all have something. And I'm not going to tell you this doesn't apply to me as a pastor because I have, I have areas of struggle. And I tell you that because I don't want you checking out on me. Don't fall for the lie that you don't have addictions because we all do. And I could use a softer word. I could use a soft habit or issue or struggle to sugarcoat this to get you to buy into it. But the truth is your freedom will come far faster if you move past your denial and face the reality that you've got serious things that you need to deal with. Food, lust, internet, gambling, social media, television, spending, shopping, uh, hunting, hoarding, sports, anger, things that overtake us, things that control us, things we wish we could stop, but we can't. Now, before I fix your addiction, I, I want to expose uh, your addiction. So I want to give you uh, the cycle of addiction. Why do we have the same resolutions year after year? If you're taking notes, write these down. If you're not taking notes, write these down. <laughs> Okay, this is crucial. So uh, see if this cycle of addiction seems familiar. Whatever we do that we don't want to do, but we keep doing, okay, at some point it becomes a part of my identity. It's not just something that I do, it is something that I am. Uh, you know, in most recovery programs, you become identified by your addiction. Hi, I'm Kelly, I'm an alcoholic. Your addiction becomes your identity. That's one of the things I love about Celebrate Recovery. That's our recovery program that we have here at Rockbrook. Uh, in Celebrate Recovery, we admit our struggles, but we find our identity in Jesus Christ. In Celebrate Recovery, we say, Hi, I'm Kelly. Hi, Kelly. Thank you. Yeah. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. That's my identity. Struggling with food addiction. That's my struggle. My identity is found in Christ and I name my struggle. But I don't find my identity in my addiction. There's, there's none of this, well, my dad was overweight, my mom was overweight, my brothers are overweight. It's just the way it is with us. My dad was angry, my mom had a temper, my brothers blow up all the time. That's just the way we are. That's who we are. We don't settle for that. At some point, you've got to stop finding your identity in your brokenness, and you've got to start finding your identity in Jesus Christ. Apostle Paul didn't stop his story in Romans 7. He didn't, he didn't stop and remain in his addiction. He didn't live his life, oh, what a wretched man I am. No, he moved on to Romans 8. And Romans 8 is all about our identity in Jesus Christ. That's where you've got to move to. Second step in the addiction cycle is when I try to quit but fail, I feel increasingly hopeless. I just can't help it. That's just the way I am. 
But if you say you're never going to change, guess what? You're never going to change. And I just want to confront that in the mind of those who are thinking that way. You may be thinking, <laughs> nice try, Kelly, but do you have any idea how many resolutions I've made about this? Do you have any idea how many diets I've been on? Do you have any idea how many budgets I've written? How many credit cards I've cut up? How many packs of cigarettes I've thrown away? Do you have any idea how many times I've struggled and tried to tackle this deal? But with this series, I want to renew your hope. Give me four weeks. Give me four weeks. Let's just see if when we address the right thing, if you don't get a new breakthrough in this area of struggle. And listen, the devil wants you to live without hope. If he can get you to give up hope, he can keep you enslaved in your addiction for the rest of your life. When you give up hope, you're, you're succumbing to the devil. Because God is a God of hope. Jesus Christ is our hope. And you can break out of this addiction. You really can. Third step in the addiction cycle is any threat to my addiction becomes a threat to me. I mean, have you noticed that when anyone else addresses the area of your addiction, you, you react, sometimes you overreact. I mean, it's one thing for you to address it. It's one thing for you to even identify with it. But for somebody else to point it out or somebody else to, you know, move in, into that area of your life, whoa, no. We become defensive. That's why so many of us will hear about small groups and we'll hear about Celebrate Recovery and we'll think, well, yeah, I think that's important. I think there's value in that. I see life change in people who are involved in that. But we would rather receive God's word in the safety of a room full of hundreds of people where we can take notes and write things down and leave and no one ever knows if we did anything with it or not. But real life change is going to happen when you allow people to step into your life and say, friend, I noticed you're struggling with something and I'm struggling with it too and I think we can help each other. And that's when you begin to receive the breakthrough. You've got to get real with somebody else because real life change always, always happens in the context of relationships. It's just the way God has wired us up. And that's why Rockbrook is a church of small groups, not just a church with small groups. That's why Celebrate Recovery is a vital part of our church family. Because real life change happens in the context of relationships. Next step in the addiction cycle is I begin to lose my life. I begin to lose my life to my addiction. And I just want to dedicate this message to the person who knows that this cannot be what God intended for my life. This cannot be the life that God designed for me to live. There has got to be something better than this. And you get to the point where all your energy, all your efforts go into dealing with the same problem. So you can never move forward and never do anything constructive in your life. The devil wants us to be so distracted by our problems that we never reach our potential. And that's why at some point, you've got to deal with your addictions. You've got to break out of your denial. You've got to stop buying into the lie that it's no big deal. It's just the way I am. Everybody does it. Those are lies that are robbing you of your life. Those are lies that are robbing God of his glory because you're not living the life that he designed for you to live. 
Finally, if I don't deal with my addiction, <clears throat> then I just repeat the addiction cycle by doing it again. I ease the pain by getting my next fix. And so I click again. I eat again. I drink again. I do whatever I don't want to do again, and I just repeat the cycle. So the question today is, how do we break this cycle of addiction once and for all? And the premise of this series is, is that you break that cycle of addiction by changing your heart, not by changing the behavior itself. We gotta dig in deeper and not just look at the surface behavior. We gotta look at the internal motivation that is fueling this cycle. You know, we need changed hearts, not just changed behavior. If you focus on behavior, you can change, but it won't last. But you focus on the heart, that's when we find freedom in Christ. The, here's the dilemma. We can be so, become so comfortable with our addiction that many of us really don't want to change. We don't want to change our lives. We just want to change our circumstances. I, I don't want to quit overeating. I just want to be skinny. I don't want to quit overspending. I just don't want to be broke. I don't want to stop drinking. I just don't want to get in trouble. You know, don't change me just change the consequences. But the harsh reality is your addiction is not your problem. Your addiction is just the outward manifestation. And too many people go through life swapping one addiction for another because they never deal with the heart problem. You know, the addictions are just the symptom. The heart problem, the heart problem is idolatry idolatry oh way no way pastor no way I don't have any idols in my house I'm not bowing down to anything but the definition of an idol is anything that we have allowed to have a place in our life above God and so I would submit that anything that we have in our life that we know we shouldn't be doing but we keep doing that's become an idol now, don't let the term idol scare you off. Frankly, I'm using extreme language today. I'm talking about addictions, and I'm talking about idolatry because I'm trying to convince you that we have a serious problem here. We've we got to break out of our denial, and we've got to see what this stuff is really doing in our life because whatever has your heart, you worship, and whatever you worship, you serve, and whatever you serve, you become a slave to. And there is only one who is worthy of our worship. And there is only one who is worthy to be served. And there is only one who is worthy to be a slave to. And that's God, not your addiction. So let me show you how this works from an Old Testament passage. I mean, this struggle isn't new. It's as old as mankind. So we're going to look at Isaiah 44. It says, How foolish are those who manufacture idols. These prized objects are really worthless. And we read that and we think, well, duh, yeah. I mean, how foolish to worship these idols. I mean, I've just gotten back from a part of the world where there are temples with idols of false gods in them every few blocks. I mean, you drive down the street and you see these craftsmen making all these idols out of concrete or stone or uh, metal or wood, and people buy them and take them home, put them up in their house and worship them. You know, I look at that and I think, well, how foolish. 
look at this. The people who worship idols don't know this. So they are all put to shame. See, the thing is that when, when we worship an idol, we don't know it's an idol. And, and actually, it, it is an idol, and it puts us to shame. It makes us an addict. Who but a fool would make his own God an idol that cannot help him one bit? You see, here's what this guy did. The Bible says that he plants some trees of all kinds. He plants cedar and oak and pine, and the trees grow up, and then the guy cuts them down, and he uses part of the wood to make a fire. With it, he warms himself and bakes bread. That's right. That's what, that's what trees and wood are for. Then, yes, it's true. He takes the rest of it and makes himself a god to worship. He makes an idol and bows down in front of it. Isaiah says that God gives us these things that can be used for good. And when these things are used in the way that God is intended, it's for our benefit. Food. There's nothing wrong with food. You need it to survive. Money. There's nothing wrong with money. It's just how we transact business. Sex. There's nothing wrong with sex. God created it. God created it for us to enjoy. But all of these things can cross a line. They can cross a line. Sports and recreation. You know, God created it for good. I think God loves sport. I think he loves recreation. And, and uh, I think he loves excellence and competition and exercise. But it can cross a line. And it can become a God in our life and in our family, and it can affect us in ways that we don't even see, just like the guy who, who made this idol and didn't see it. He takes the trees that God gave him, but he doesn't just use them for cooking and for heat. He makes a false God out of it that he's trusting in. He's addicted to it. He burns part of the tree to roast his meat and keep himself warm. He says, oh, that fire feels good. It's good when you use it the way it's intended. Then he takes what's left and makes his God a carved idol. He falls down in front of it, worshiping and praying to it. Rescue me, he says, you are my God. The thing that God made for good, now this guy has an improper relationship with it. Okay? And notice it's the excess that creates the problem. You know, he's got enough to heat his house, he's got enough to cook his food, and now there's excess. And he crosses a line with it. You know, that's the essence of addiction. At some point along the way, it becomes an improper relationship. You know, most of the things in our life, we enjoy, they work for our benefit, but some things get out of whack. And they begin to take on too much importance, and we become too dependent on them. We want them to rescue us. We want them to comfort us, to make us happy. We want to find our fulfillment in them. We want them to ease our pain. And those are things that only God is supposed to do for us. Such stupidity and ignorance. Their eyes are closed, and they cannot see. Their minds are shut, and they cannot think. That's denial. It's denial. The person who made the idol never stops to reflect why it's just a block of wood. It's just a car. It's just a job. It's just a donut. I burned half of it for heat and used it to bake my bread and roast my meat. How can the rest of it be a god? Should I bow down to worship a piece of wood? 
this poor, deluded fool feeds on ashes. He trusts something that can't help him at all. And yet he cannot bring himself to ask, is this idol that I'm holding in my hand a lie? That guy cannot break out of his denial and ask himself the hard question. Has this thing taken the wrong place in my life? And that's the question I'm wanting you to ask today. Because I want nothing less than God's best for you in every area of your life. Even the areas where you struggle. Now I'm not trying to identify the idols in your life. I'm really not. That's not my job. That's the Holy Spirit's job in your life. And my job as your pastor is just to lead you to the scriptures and encourage you to invite the Holy Spirit into your life to work on whatever area he needs to work on in your life. And so I'm just asking you to ask the Holy Spirit today. Just say, God, what are the idols in my life that I may not even see? Has football and soccer and gymnastics or whatever become too important to me and my family? Does my job hold too much sway over my life? Do I think about food or money or Facebook too much? Have I let something become an idol in my life? And if you open it up to the Holy Spirit, He'll touch whatever area of your life you need to have touched. And once you denounce it, you're going to break free from it. You're going to break free. So I hope that I've convinced you that we've all got these addictions. And I hope I've given you hope that, that God can free you from it. But you've got to dethrone the idol. And truthfully, a lot of us have not had much success here. Because I think we've gone at this stuff too lightly. You know, we've never really taken the battle to the level that God intended. You know, we come to church, we hear a message like this, we think, yeah, maybe I really need to work on that. And then we leave and we don't do anything about it. And we just stay a prisoner of that sin over and over and over. You know, we see this struggle overcoming uh, here in the life of Jesus' disciples. Jesus sent the disciples out to do ministry. They had a lot of success. They were healing people, doing great things, but they had one instance where it didn't work. And they're trying to cast a demon out of a demon-possessed boy, and the demon wouldn't come out. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. The, the demon's trying to destroy him, burn him and kill him or drown him. He says, I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Couldn't do it. And then Jesus gives us a secret. He tells it why it didn't work. And you've got to notice the words here. The words are powerful words. He says, Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed from that moment. And I want you to notice, circle these words. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation. If we really want to overcome our addiction, if we really want to dethrone the idol that is holding our heart captive, if we really want to break free, we've got to take a serious look at those two words. Unbelieving. Unbelieving means not connected to God. An unbeliever is someone who attempts to do life on their own. You've lost faith. You've lost hope. You're not believing anymore. You're not connected with God. 
You're not connected to God enough. But notice that it's not just that you're not connected to God enough. I mean, you know, for many of us, that's part of your problem. But it's not that you're just not connected to God. You know, you're unbelieving, but also we're perverse. We're too connected to the world. You're not connected with God enough, and you're too connected to the world. And it is a deadly double whammy. So how do I get more connected to God and less connected to the world? Jesus tells us. He says, then the disciples came to Jesus in private. You know, they'd had this failure. They didn't ask him out there in the street in front of everybody what went wrong. They waited later in private and said, why couldn't we do that? Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. And I think if Jesus would have stopped right there, everybody would, would still be frustrated because, yes, but how? How? And then he gives it to us right here. But this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Circle those two words, prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting are the antidote to being an unbelieving and perverse generation. I mean, why is it that some stuff you can correct on your own? You know, like the disciples, you may be able to do some good stuff. You may be able to see some healing, some breakthrough, even some miracles in your life. Find some freedom. But at the same time, you may have an area that you just can't overcome. Why? And what's the answer? Jesus says it's prayer and fasting. Prayer connects us to God. Prayer is more than, now I lay me down to sleep. Prayer is more than, bless this food I'm about to eat. You know, if prayer is going to be effective, it's, it's going to break the power of your addiction. It has got to be more intense, more intentional, more intimate than that. And unfortunately, when it comes to prayer, that's the level that most of us live at. Okay? You know, in marriage, in the marriage relationship, there's a lot of communication that has to happen. Did you pay this bill? You know, can you pick up the kids? Plumber's coming at 9.30. Who can be here? You know, a lot of routine, run-of-the-mill, making-life-happen communication. But it's not intimate communication. It's just nuts and bolts stuff that needs to happen. But that's not where the power of marriage is found. The power of marriage is found in intimate heart and soul communication. And marriages that just run on nuts and bolts communication, eventually they run out of power. They run out of steam. And that's what happens with our relationship with God. That's why I want to remind us as we're heading into Christmas and the new year. I mean, I find it ironic that the Christmas season, the very season of the year when we celebrate Christ's birth, is the season of the year that is the most materialistic. It's the season of the year that is the most gluttonous season of the year. Why is it that every Christmas recipe starts with five pounds of sugar, five pounds of caramel, five pounds of chocolate chips, five pounds of butter, stir it together, and baby, it's no bake, you can eat it right out of the pan. You don't even have to wait for it to get hot. You know, it's the most undisciplined, fleshly time of the year. And many of us will gain more weight, we'll go into more debt, we'll drink more alcohol, we'll fight more with our family during December than we do the whole rest of the year. 
we will experience more depression, more anger, more insecurity, struggle more with our addictions in the month of December than during the whole rest of the year. Why? Because it is a spiritual battle. It is a spiritual battle that must be won through prayer. It's a spiritual battle that must be won through fasting. Fasting. Because prayer connects us with God and fasting disconnects us from the world. And I tell you, if you want to be countercultural, if you want to see some victory, if you want to live differently, uh, you know, you want to go against the flow of materialism and addiction, try fasting in December. You know? Now, fasting, you've got to understand, it's not suffering for the sake of proving to God that you love Him. That's not what it is. Fasting isn't about giving something up. Fasting is about gaining something. Fasting is not about restriction on your life. Fasting is about freedom. Fasting is an intentional disconnect from anything that has become an idol in my life. Anything that has taken God's place. Fasting is intentionally stepping away from your addiction, whatever it may be. It's not just about food. It's about feeding the idol in your life. And fasting breaks the connection. It breaks the control. It disconnects from the world. And if you couple it with prayer, it connects you with the power of God in your life. Because let's be honest, it is just so easy. It's so easy to let food and football and festivities and even family Facebook to become really too important to us. I mean, they're good things that God created, but when the relationship becomes improper, they become idols, and we don't even realize it. But they become our God. They become what, the thing we want to rescue us, to comfort us, to ease our pain. Overcoming addiction is about dethroning your false gods and making Jesus Christ the king of your life. The Bible says that we put Jesus on the throne when we confess him with our Lord, with our mouth, when we confess him as Lord. And some of you need to do that today. Some of you need to do it today for the very first time in your life, ever. And some of you need to put Jesus back on the throne of your life and dethrone the idols that have slid in there and taken over control. Now, I'm not going to ask you to come down front. I'm not going to ask you to stand up I'm just going to lead you in a prayer and the question I have is who wants to be included in the prayer and so if you want to be included in this prayer then I want you just to put your hand up just put your hand up put it up high give Jesus a little wave say Jesus I want you to be the Lord of my life I want you to hold your hand up while we pray let's just pray together you can whisper it in your heart you can say it out loud we don't care we all prayed this prayer sometime in our life say God I dethrone my other gods, and today I put you on the throne of my life. Forgive me for having other gods, other loves, other idols ahead of you. And today I repent, and I change the direction of my life. Jesus, be my Lord. Be number one in my life. Come live inside of me and change me and make me brand new. God, give me the power to break my addictions. I want to connect with you in prayer. I want to disconnect from the world through fasting. And God, I thank you for the hope that I can have in Jesus Christ, for it's in his name that we pray. Amen.